0: hppodcraft.com
1: Ben Hayden was always a stubborn chap and once he had heard about those strange statues in the upper Adirondacks nothing could keep him from going to see them I had been his closest acquaintance for years and our Damon and Pythias friendship made us inseparable at all times, so when Ben firmly decided to go, well, I had to trot along too, like a faithful collie.
2: Another pair of Lovecraftian heroes bound for adventure. And you are joining us, real-life Lovecraftian heroes, on the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. I am Chad Pfeiffer.
0: I'm Chris Lackey, and we're at HPPodcraft.com.
2: And uh, our reader today is Brother Voodoo friend of the show all around great fella he's uh, his identity is shrouded in mystery however is bro-
0: brother voodoo still sorcerer supreme of the earth dimension
2: <laughs> i believe so yes so it's amazing that we got him to read for the show
0: I- i've been out of the loop but i know he took over for doctor strange for a
2: while <laughs> you've been out of the loop
0: i have i don't know what's going on these days with the sorcerer supremes
2: what was that first paragraph from what's the story
0: oh the story is called the man of stone and that's by hp lovecraft and Hazel, Heald.
2: Hazel Healed. Hazel Heald. What do we know about Hazel Heald?
0: Lovecraft did a bunch of ghostwriting for her or team-ups, depending on which way you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. According to Muriel Eddy, you know, she wrote kind of a biography about Lovecraft back in the day, which is not very accurate. Okay. But, but supposedly she wanted to get Lovecraft and Hazel on a date because uh, Hazel's also a divorcee oh yeah so she lived in somerville on his trip to quebec lovecraft said somerville
2: massachusetts yes
0: lovecraft went to quebec in the summer of 1932 which is when this story was written and then on his way back he said to a friend of his and he stopped in anthill massachusetts and Mm -hmm. he said he was going to take the midnight bus to providence for dinner in somerville interesting so it sounds like he had a little bit of a booty call. Oh yeah,
2: <laughs> it does sound like a great romantic comedy setup. The two divorcees steeped in their horror fiction.
0: I don't know how great that comedy would be, really. She worked together with him on uh, five stories,
2: all of which we're going to be covering:
0: "The Man of Stone," "Winged Death," "The Horror in the Museum," and "Out of the Andes. and "The Horror in." The burying ground
2: horror in the burying ground. Yeah, we're gonna do that one too. So we'll be getting a lot of Hazel. Yeah, we will be. That's cool. You know, I like it when he. I liked it when he teamed up with his wife on. uh the horror at St. Martin's Beach. It's nice to get a yeah. lady's hand in there.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
2: Where the lady's hand touches these stories. I'm not entirely sure, and we can't know.
0: Yeah, there's some there's some discussion about how much of this is actually Hazel's and how much of it's Lovecraft. But we'll talk about that at the end of the story. Okay. There's something, I, I don't, never knew the story of uh, Damon and Pythias.
2: I do, and you know why? Because I was in, you may have heard about this, but I was in the Ridgewood Elementary 5th grade production of the play, Damon and Pythias.
0: Oh, wow. Wow, really? Yeah. Who did, who did you play?
2: I was Pythias, yes. You were Pythias? I was Pythias, yeah. I tried to give the character a modern appeal in my interpretation. He wore a half shirt that said breaking on it in pink cursive. <laughs> I did, I was in it. You know, Damon and Pythias were like best buddies. Yeah. And they were followers of Pythagoras. He of geometry legend. Mm-hmm, you know, the Pythagorean yeah. theorem. You did
0: that theorem, yeah. The K-K-S theorem. <laughs>
2: He's a cool philosopher. He was he was into peace and love through music and math. Sure. I remember learning about him. But so they were hanging out in Syracuse when the tyrant of Syracuse, uh, Dionysus. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first. Thought they were the first. Yeah. This is not the god, but this uh, actual guy. A ruler. Guy. Yeah. And he thought that, that Pythias was talking some smack about him. Conspiring. So he had him sentenced to death. And uh, Pythias wanted to go home and settle up his affairs before he got put to death. Kind of reminds me of some stories in the Arabian Nights. The tyrant Dionysus didn't want him to go because he said he was going to run away. So his best bud Damon says, "All right, I'm going to wait in his stead, and if he doesn't come back, you can execute me." Which is pretty. That's some trust. That's a pretty solid. Yeah. Uh, Pythias takes off, and on his way back, it's beset by all sorts of Odysseus-like challenges to get back. Well, you don't to... know that,
0: you know, because they're going to put put him to death, and it's like getting ready to execute him, and then and then Pythias shows up. And he's like, "Oh man, oh, you're not going to believe all the stuff I had to deal with. Like, right. there was pirates." And he had to, like, jump out of a ship and swim, like, mm-hmm. hundreds of miles. But he still showed up and still was there to come back for his friend. You know, like, he, he went through all this stuff <laughs> to get back. And then the and then the king, Dionysus, was so stoked. Like, he's just like, wow, you guys are really good people. I was wrong about you conspiring against me. And you can join uh, my entourage and be one of my consultants.
2: Yeah, he gives them jobs. Yeah. Yes, it's a cool story. You did, in, in the Ridgewood Elementary production, you did see the pirate battles and...
0: All oh really? These kinds of
2: things, yeah. We had. Oh wow. Well, you know, then other kids had to do something. I mean, I didn't need to have all the stage time.
0: Just most. You know, uh, and also I might, I might be wrong about that as well because I didn't actually read the story. I read mm. about it on Wikipedia.
2: Well, <laughs> I, I brushed up on it as well. Although there's many different variations. There's actually some legit full length plays. And oh, anyway, so the the point is that Damon and Pythias are really, really, really close, dedicated friends.
0: And so are Ben and Jack.
2: Yeah, Ben and Jack are two guys here. Really good buddies. Although it does still have that typical Lovecraftian relationship where one is the dominant partner. Right. And that would be Ben. All right. So that's the setup for the story. Jack kind of tells us about Ben and how he's a stubborn guy and that he'd heard about these strange statues in the upper Adirondacks in New York. And then he goes on to recount what Ben said to him. He says, hey, man, you remember our friend Henry Jackson, who went up to Lake Placid mm-hmm. you because know, he had a beastly spot in his lung? So, you know, he went up there for the climate so he could get better. He's back now, almost cured, but he saw some really crazy thing up there. It might just be a case of a bizarre sculpture, but it really stuck with him. It basically made him leave Lake Placid.
0: And it wasn't the giant alligator. It
2: wasn't. I was thinking it wasn't Betty White or the giant alligator. Right. Uh, Well, what happened was Henry was out hunting one day, and he came across this cave, and it looked like there was a dog standing in front of it. Mm Mm-hmm. And when he went and checked out the dog, he realized it wasn't a dog, but it was a statue. The statue was so amazing.
0: It was carved in such a way that even the hairs were carved into it, each individual hair.
2: Down to the smallest whisker. So
0: he decides he's going to get tough and he's going to bust into the, or not bust in, but go into the cave. Right. And when he goes in there, he sees a a dude, like a stone dude, and it freaks him out so much he just hightails it out of there. He just runs.
2: He asked some questions about it before he left, but the people in the town just made some comments about a guy named Mad Dan. Mad Dan. Whoever that is. So <laughs> my initial impression of the story was, what's the big deal? Like, you stumbled into a museum. Right,
0: or just that there's a really good sculpture out there.
2: But I've seen things in, cla- in museums with classical, like, old, old, old Greek or Roman statues that are amazing. I mean, they really do look like people. It's eerie.
0: I mean, it's not scary. You're right. It's not scary. But maybe if it was so accurate, even if it was down to the hairs and the whiskers, it says, if you saw stone whiskers coming off of something like that, that... It, it, it maybe would look like it was alive and be creepy and out of place. Why would it be out in the middle of the woods?
2: You're making a good case, but I got to say when I was reading it at first, I just thought it was stupid. Yeah,
0: it's not, it wasn't scary.
2: I'll spoil a little bit and say I wound up liking the story. But at this point, I I was thinking to myself, you know, maybe if it was a tree that had grown like that or a potato chip with Cthulhu's face on it or something. But, you know, sculpture <laughs> right. has been around a lot. You know, if you took this guy to Madame Tussauds, he'd have a heart attack. Right, yeah. That wax figurine, it looks exactly like Mark Wahlberg. (laughs) Oh, the brain fever. Oh, golly. Oh, and the other thing about it is that Jackson was so freaked out, he came home weeks ahead of his planned time. Even though his lung tumor was clearing up, it says he's nearly cured. So if he had just stayed out there a little longer, he's going to come back with not perfect health because this thing freaked him out. I
0: I don't know why he got so upset by just seeing some statues. uh, It seems really unfrightening. But what are you going to do? So he comes back and he tells Ben about it, and Ben did some kind of did some digging around, and he found out that Arthur Wheeler, wh- who was this amazing sculptor, moved out to the Anirondacks. He was he was really good, but his critics called him a um, solid photographer. Like solid photographer. And I was like, yeah, that is screw you, man. That's it's hard. <laughs> I mean, out of stone, if you could do something that looks like a photograph out of stone, you know, like that's some talent. <laughs>
2: I thought that maybe he just misunderstood. They said, "Yeah, he's a pretty good sculptor, but he is a solid photographer. If you've seen his (laughs) photography, he just completely misunderstood what they were saying." But he's the pickman of sculpture. Right? Yeah,
0: he's he's really amazing. He's really amazing. Ben knew him; they're friends. Mm -hmm. He knew Arthur. I think they both knew him. Yeah.
2: Yeah, because he's saying, you you remember this guy?
0: And he goes, oh, yeah, I remember him. Well, let's go out there and find out what the heck happened.
2: Right, because, well, he moved out to Arthur Wheeler was out in the Adirondacks to work, and then he disappeared. Exactly. Never heard from again. Nobody saw him. Surely, if there are these sculptures out here that their buddy Jackson found, then maybe this has something to do with Wheeler's disappearance. Exactly. And then Ben says... Jack, I'm going to go up there now to look things over, and you're coming along with me. He just orders him.
0: Yeah, there's a very similar uh, Harley-Warren, uh, Randolph-Carter kind of relationship where exactly the narrator is the weaker of the two. The other character is the one that just kind of goes headfirst into everything. Right. It seems super Lovecraft to me, and yeah. I don't know. We'll talk about it at the end of this, about what the deal is with who wrote it and who wrote it okay. and everything like that. But I
2: mean, you know, I, I've been reading a lot of Sherlock Holmes over the last year, and that happens to Watson all the time. Or Holmes will just show up at his door and say, I'm going out to the countryside to investigate something. Can you uh, schedule all your appointments with another doctor tomorrow? And Watson's <laughs> always like, of course. Of course, old boy. No problem. <laughs> and what, what kind of doctoring is he doing? <laughs> Nobody ever sees Watson. No. Well, anyway, so a week later, they take this long train ride, a bus trip.
0: Um, it's in June.
2: Yeah, and they get out to Mountaintop, which is a very small village, Mountaintop. And, of course, there is a general store.
0: Yes. And that's where Ben thinks, hey, we're going to get the lowdown at the general store. That's where people hang out and talk. And he's right.
2: Of course. There's loafers and whittlers. I, I love it. I love the Lovecraftian general store where there's always old, ignorant townspeople whittling away, ready to give limited amounts of information.
0: But they do. Know, they're not completely ignorant. They know. They know about what, what's going on.
2: Well, what does he find out?
0: So Ben's kind of a clever guy. He knows from before when Henry went down there, everybody kind of clammed up. So he he's going to take a different tactic and just bring up Wheeler and see what people have to say. Right. So when he brings up Wheeler's name, everybody gets super uneasy. And good old Sam he stops a whittling, and he <laughs> says, um, "Oh yeah, that Wheeler guy." Uh, He hasn't been seen in a a long time. He went up to stay with Mad Dan, lodge with him and do his sculpture work. And then supposedly Wheeler started finding Mad Dan's wife a little bit attractive and a kind of romance started brewing.
2: Pretty sweet on her, I guess. Pretty
0: sweet on her. And all of a sudden, nobody's seen hide or hair of Wheeler or of the wife.
2: Or of Mad Dan and nobody wants to go look him up because he was getting in a worse and worse mood and then he kind of disappeared as well. So something that I think that uh, Sam says, guess he's penned her up so nobody else can make eyes at her. And there's an exclamation point. <laughs> is he laughing about that? <laughs> that's a pretty strange town where they're letting that go on. Yeah, that's pretty horrific. But,
0: well, I mean, you find out later that the, that uh, Mad Dan's got The reason they call him Mad Dan is because he's supposedly going to witchcraft and sorcerer's ways and things like
2: that. It concludes there. It says, as Sam resumed his whittling after a few more observations, Ben and I exchanged glances, Which I thought, well, why'd you leave those out? What are the other observations? Yeah. Also, everybody in Plattsburgh is an asshole, whittle whittle. Captain Crunch tastes good even without milk. Whittle, whittle, whittle. (laughs) Now on your way.
0: So uh, they go back to the hotel and head out the next day. Jackson, from before, he gave them sort of a map to where he saw these statues. So they knew where they were going to be going. So they hiked all day, were pretty tired. And uh, finally they see kind of a, a fissure, more than a cave. They describe it more as a fissure and a rock pool that's by this fissure, and there's a statue of a dog standing next to it.
1: It was a gray dog, or a dog statue. And as our simultaneous gasp died away, we scarcely knew what to think. Jackson had exaggerated nothing, and we could not believe that any sculptor's hand had succeeded in producing such... perfection. Every hair of the animal's magnificent coat seemed distinct, and those on the back were bristled up, as if some unknown thing had taken him unaware.
2: Simultaneous gasp. You know, when I was a kid, we had a stone dog in our backyard.
0: Was it (laughs) hyper-realistic?
2: Yeah, it was pretty good, actually, except that it it was a stone dachshund, and it it had a blade that came out of its back. What? To clean your the mud off of your shoes. Oh right. So you'd scrape your shoes on the dachshund's back. Right. You never saw it. I had to hide it when my friends were around. I didn't. I didn't want them to faint.
0: <laughs> I never did see it.
2: Yeah. My dad would get annoyed by all the simultaneous gasping that happened whenever people saw it. So I had to put it away when friends came over.
0: <laughs> oh golly. So Ben. So Ben's pretty interested in this, and he touches mm-hmm. it and goes, "Wow, look at this! It's this technique is not Wheeler's. Wheeler didn't sculpt like this. This." Is a real dog. He just knows it. It's like, yeah. look at the hairs, look at everything. Something some turned gas
2: this... or something petrified it. Yeah,
0: something turned this dog to stone. Gas? Why does he say that? I don't know why he jumps to that conclusion. I've never heard of any gas ever turning anything
2: to stone. He's just throwing things out there. Don't be a hater. It's just brainstorming. Oh well, a...
0: jeez, I'm just... yeah, okay. He's. It just seems like a lame <laughs> idea, <all> right? <laughs> Okay. So Ben goes, well, let's go check out this cave and see what he saw inside. And they yeah. get inside the cave. Now, this is kind of a, a neat bit here. They When they get in, they make out there's a, a shape in there, a human shape mm. laying on the ground. And he turns on the flashlight to look at it. But they, they don't point the flashlight at it directly at first because they're both kind of scared. And then they yeah. angle the flashlight over onto the body.
1: When Ben at last sent forth the electric beam, we saw that the object lay on its side. Back towards us. It was clearly of the same material as the dog outside, but was dressed in the moldering and unpetrified remains of rough sport clothing. Braced as we were for a shock, we approached quite calmly to examine the thing, Ben going around to the other side to glimpse the averted face. Neither could possibly have been prepared for what Ben saw when he flashed the light on those stony features. His cry was wholly excusable and I could not help echoing it as I leapt to his side and shared the sight. Yet, it was nothing hideous or intrinsically terrifying. It was merely a matter of recognition. For beyond the least shadow of a doubt, this chilly rock figure with its half-frightened, half-bitter expression had at one time been our old acquaintance, Arthur Wheeler.
2: That's when suddenly I liked the story. And I feel like that's where it should have started. Because a guy coming back and saying, "I, I saw statues that were really good is not to me sufficient enough to start a mystery. Right, But I saw a statue of our missing friend is cause for concern that's an odd thing i mean that would be pretty horrifying if you knew a guy he disappeared and then you saw him laying down made of stone in a cave right
0: yeah yeah then i felt like if jackson knew him as well then jackson would have solved this mystery right but we do what do we need jackson for
2: could have done it if they were friends with wheeler wheeler's missing yeah let's go figure out what happened to him up there and then they find the thing oh no done. Like, you do, you don't need this other guy that went up there and saw some yeah, It's I guess.
0: I mean, I, I think that the, there's a little bit of foreshadowing because he's a sculptor, and that's kind of why they go up there is because they are going to look, because they think that he's up there sculpting stuff. Then to get that revelation that he's not sculpting stuff, he was turned to stone. That's the scary part.
2: I just thought that there was a little prologue to this, which was unnecessary.
0: You make a, a strong argument, but I'm just saying that from the other end of it, I, I think that Lovecraft or... Hazel thought that was an interesting catch to it. The fact that
2: he was a sculptor but he got turned to stone. I still think I don't think we lose that. Alright, well. By the way we are actually doing the exact dialogue between Lovecraft and Hazel. This is exactly what they said when they were talking. (laughs) Yeah, I I
0: found a transcript of uh, theirs. They actually (laughs) wrote down everything they said to each other while they were sitting having this conversation. When they see this though, it, it freaks them out. What I think is interesting and kind of proves his point about them being turned to stone is that his clothes aren't stone. Oh, they're not? Oh yeah. Because he says the same material as the dog outside, but was dressed in mouldering and unpetrified remains of rough sport clothing. Oh
2: I didn't get that. See that's really neat.
0: I mean that really is like wow. Oh he got turned to stone. And then they yeah. flee out of there. Now I now this makes sense to me, to flee out of there. Heck because yeah. if something's turning people to stone, you, you don't want to be anywhere in that area because you don't no. know what's causing it. It could be uh, a basilisk it could be medusa
2: it could be medusa that's what i was thinking
0: it could be um, a stone gun or the marvel character gray gargoyle
2: it could be any of those things
0: and it's all bad news none of those yeah. guys are
2: somebody you want to run into. stone gun who has a stone gun
0: i don't know who has a stone gun
2: no i think a stone gun is awesome i just never have heard of such a thing just a gun that turns people to stone anyway
0: <laughs> i was making stuff up they get out there and they say poor poor arthur poor arthur
2: now ben he's putting his his detective's mind he's saying now mad dan he wouldn't have been upset about this because as we know mad dan didn't like wheeler too much no because he was chasing after his wife you know in fact he might have been responsible for this in some way the only thing they can do at this point is notify the authorities but ben says before we do that why don't we go check into mad dan here see what the deal is yeah that's pretty ballsy
0: to go yeah if this guy might have the ability to turn people to stone you probably want to stay far away from them
2: it gets ballsier because he goes out they go out there they get to uh-huh. the cabin nobody's there so they do a little breaking and entering
0: ben goes around the house looks for an open window finds one crawls in the window and it's like wow jack isn't up for this but ben is this very dominating personality so he just yeah. goes along with it and then they both go in the room that they go in with the open window is got uh, all this limestone and granite chiseling tools it's obviously some kind of workshop Ben gets ahead of Jack a little bit as he's searching around the house, and then Ben gasps, and Jack hears and goes in to see what made him gasp.
1: In another moment, though, I did see, and repeated his cry as instinctively as I had done in the cave. For here in this cabin, far from any subterranean depths which could breed strange gases and work strange mutations, were two stony figures which I knew at once... Were no products of Arthur Wheeler's chisel. In a rude armchair before the fireplace, bound in position by the lash of a long rawhide whip, was the form of a man, unkempt, elderly, and with a look of fathomless horror on its evil, petrified face. On the floor beside it lay a woman's figure, graceful, with a face betokening considerable youth and beauty. Its expression seemed to be one of sardonic satisfaction, and near its outflung right hand was a large tin pail, somewhat stained on the inside, as with a darkish sediment.
2: Wow.
0: So they think they're, they're pretty sure that it's Mad Dan and his wife.
2: There's a terrible adverb here. might be the worst I've ever read in a Lovecraft story where he says, as we looked horrifiedly around. Horrifiedly. Ugh. Everything, though, looks very casual. It's as if this happened right in the middle of common domestic... You know, this happened very suddenly. Yeah. It's like the part in the detective movie where there's still a cigar smoldering in the ashtray. But what they
0: do find is the kitchen table's all cleared off except for a book, and there's a large funnel sitting on top of this book. And they open it up, and it's a diary. And they begin... to to read the diary and you know they both read it together Ben starts reading it but then Jack kind of gets over his shoulder and and they crowd around
2: it they crowd around it and and, and we do the uh, typical Lovecraft jump ahead because he says you may know about this from some cheap dime store newspapers it's been sensationalized and when we got done reading it we just looked at each other and said let's get out of here because it was pretty nuts and I think he even says that the local authorities did some Innsmouth style burning of a book and destroying some things Right, mm-hmm. They got, went out to the cave and blew some stuff up But they jump into the, uh, the text itself And we get a little transcription It starts with this
1: November 5 My name is Daniel Morris Around here they call me Mad Dan Because I believe in powers That nobody else believes in nowadays When I go up on Thunder Hill To keep the Feast of the Foxes They think I'm crazy All except the backcountry folks That are afraid of me they try to stop me from sacrificing the Black Goat at Hallow Eve, and always prevent my doing the great right that would open the gate. They ought to know better, for they know I am a Van Coren on my mother's side, and anybody this side of the Hudson can tell what the Van Corns have handed down. We come from Nicholas Van Coren, the wizard who was hanged in Vitgart in 1587, and everybody knows... He had made the bark of the black man. All right,
2: hey. things are taken off now. This the black
0: me. man. The black man's back, obviously. Uh, or Nyarlathotep was the black man in, in Troops of the Witch House, our last story. Um, also, I totally dig the fact that he's got a nickname. You know, like they, he says, I'm Daniel Mad Dan Morris, like a professional wrestler or something.
2: <laughs> I did think Mad Dan sounded funny. It's hard to say. Which was mad, mad, mad Roger or something. Yeah, well, because there's the two
0: Ds. Yeah, it's yeah. like Mad... Dan, so you have to—it's kind of a—you have to stutter. day. he goes on to um, talk in his November fifth entry, and this is of mm-hmm. last year. He goes on to talk about the book of Iban, and his grandfather had had this book, which supposedly had all these arcane secrets and things in it.
2: And he has it because the nobody ever got the soldiers that care of his ancestors never got a hold of it. It's been passed down. He's got it, and then he gets into recounting what 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 we already know as the story so far, somewhat. But he sets it up that Wheeler showed up in town. He needed a place to stay where he could do his sculpting, the mountaintop. And uh, he says, yeah, you can come up to my place for about 13 bucks a week with meals. You can stay here. He starts checking out his wife, Rose. This gets really interesting and dramatic because it's a very archetypical story, but one that I really like where there's a couple that maybe have some troubles. And then a Mm -hmm. third person shows up. A third, you know, usually it's a young man. And the relationship between the couple turns out good or bad. In this case, it's bad, obviously. It's an interesting story structure. I got really sucked in at this point. I wish it hadn't taken so long to get here. Yeah. So he says that was three months ago, and now...
0: Rose is... Well, Rose always has a bit of a reputation as as a... With the wandering eye. So the guy's in town. So Yeah,
2: she's 16 years younger than he is, and I don't know how he tricked her into being his wife. It seems like they don't have a great relationship because she's always looking around, yeah?
0: Yeah, exactly. Her and Wheeler kind of started uh, forming this relationship, and he realized that it was going, you know, going on. He's not stupid, he keeps saying. There's an entry for November 25th, Thanksgiving Day, and he says, oh, you know what? I dug up the book, got it from my uncle's old trunk, and I'm going to find something to show them. <laughs> this is one of the things he says that's really great. He goes, I, I thought of calling... In the Emanation of Yoth, but that needs a child's blood, and I must be careful about the neighbors. It's like, what's
2: the Emanation of Yoth? (laughs) It's tossed off, so he would get a child's blood if it weren't for neighbors finding out about it. He has no qualms about doing that. Then it says the green decay looks promising, but that'd be unpleasant for me too. Lovecraft is usually so guarded about what's in these books, and this is almost like just a spellcaster running through the different options. I love that. It's so fun, yeah. Finally finds a formula in the manuscript. On December tenth gives a page number. Six
0: hundred and seventy-nine in the Book of Vaban. Mm-hmm. But he says it's perfect because the target is a sculptor. And he's like, Oh, it's perfect, it's perfect.
2: Yeah. And what it basically is, it's yeah, it's a kind of petrification, but it happens immediately. Shoots the whole system full of calcium and barium salts and replaces living cells with mineral matter so fast nothing can stop it. Yeah.
0: But they have to drink it. They have to drink it. But he thinks it could be passed off as wine or in wine.
2: He formulates a plan. First he gets he starts ordering the chemicals he needs from Albany and Montreal around Christmas time. He's already working on, you know, he's been testing.
0: He's testing on animals.
2: Yeah, we skip we can skip a couple of these here. He he basically he's he's mixing it up. He's going out to the cave. While he's away in the cave, they're probably getting it on back at the cottage.
0: Oh, he gets him so mad. He's so mad about
2: it. And then around in January, he uh, he's trying various mixtures basically in a in a bird bath. So when the sparrows show up, they'll take a little sip. And then he's watching them to see. Nothing really happens. They just fly away. Around February, though, luckily, he puts a fresh bit in the pool, and a sparrow flies up there and lands and drinks a little bit. and
0: Boom. And boop. Turn to stone.
2: Yeah. Falls over, and it's like a hummel or a... Not a hummel, but what's the... the Elizabeth, Isabel Bloom. You know, it's like Isabel. a little uh, stone. <laughs> <laughs> eh. Yeah, exactly. And then he does something. He does. He really does something dirty here. He wants to test it out on another animal, right? Yeah, because
0: they're small, so he needs something bigger. And he, he takes Rose's dog, Rex, and uh, brings him down to the cave to test him out on him, and it works.
2: What did the dog do? Nothing. The dog realized he is evil. He re- The dog realizes as soon as he drinks it, he goes, wait a minute. And he's turning around to growl, but that's why that's why in the sculpture. And I actually, now that I got that real strong image of it, I think it must look very cool, where the dog is yeah. just about to his teeth and his hair's all standing up. Anyway, after the dog worked, he decided, I'm going to, now I'm going to get these guys. Now, Rose doesn't like to drink wine. She's kind of a teetotaler.
0: So he's not sure exactly how he's going to get her to drink it, but he figures, I'm going to take, take out Wheeler first, and then I'll deal with her.
1: March 1. La Role Praise the Lord Sathagua. I've got the son of hell at last. Told him I found a new ledge of friable limestone down this way and he trotted after me like the yellow cur he is. I had the wine-flavored stuff in a bottle on my hip, and he was glad of a swig when we got here. gulped it down without a wink, and dropped in his tracks before you could count three. But he knows I've had my vengeance, for I made a face at him that he couldn't miss. I saw the look of understanding come into his face as he keeled over. In two minutes, in solid stone. So
2: he got him,
0: man. But it took two minutes. Two minutes to turn a stone. God, that must, that must have been terrible.
1: He nailed that
2: guy, and he's pretty happy about it. He does say um, there's a damn lunger named Jackson in a cabin over the hill. who does a lot of snooping around.
0: No, he knows about Jackson.
2: He comes back. He can't get Rose to drink any wine, so he's trying it tea and coffee, but it forms a precipitate, and it can't be used that way. So he's thinking of cutting down the solution in in water and giving it to her Mm -hmm. slowly. Then he says, this is in his diary entry, I'll have to pick a quarrel with her and keep her locked in the attic. It's odd that, I mean, I know that he wants to have some kind of ironic punishment of these guys, but it Uh seems like he got it on the sculptor. If he's beating her and locking her in the attic, why doesn't he just murder her? to her
0: you can't understand the thought process of a madman
2: oh he says but i would like to carry this neat statue plan through he's excited about his plan he wants to, to see it realized you know i thought that was such a great line because it's it's got this childlike excitement and enthusiasm for the magic yeah but i would like to carry this neat statue plan through it's so neat
0: it is a, it is a i neat was plan.
2: man i really liked the story at this point and it made him so much more for some reason when he's giving a magic formula to the sculptor to turn him to stone i was like that's pretty evil Beating his wife and locking her up in the attic—it made me just go, God, I hated this guy. Suddenly, yeah. you know, the domestic abuse angle made it really a, a lot more realistic. Right. And even the way that he says, "Tuesday night, I heard her pigling with the window, so I went up and gave her a raw hiding." Oh. Pigling with the window. Ugh. What yeah. a jerk.
0: He's kind of locked up there. He just keeps giving her salty food and water with the solution in it, and yeah, hoping the food will
2: make her just keep drinking the
0: water. Right. And but it's not working. It doesn't. It doesn't work on her. She's been crawling around on the floor though recently so he mm-hmm. thinks it must be having some effect but sh- it's not it's not doing anything if she's still alive and uh she tries to escape you know doesn't
2: and then all the strain of this torturing and and poisoning has made mad dan a little sleepy yeah. so as he's writing he says you know what I'm, I'm gonna nod off for a while and then the narrative gets taken over by the wife on march 16th It says, you know, this is added by Rose C. Morris about to die, and she's got some instructions for her father to get this journal so that he can find out what happened, and she said, I felt sure that that my husband had killed Arthur Wheeler, but now that i read this notebook, I know what he was up to. Yeah, so
0: she breaks down what's been happening, and she, when she got that first bit of water, she knew something was wrong with it, but it it partially paralyzed her. It did Uh. something to her. She didn't drink enough of it that it turned her to stone, but it kind of messed her up, so she stopped drinking the water, And there was a lot of rain going on, so she would just dump the water out the window and then drink rainwater, keep herself alive.
2: But she keeps the stone water.
0: Right. She doesn't throw out the window. She keeps it. She also mentions that her dad probably—old Dan probably put a spell on her and her dad so that she would marry him because he was an evil sorcerer. And he did all of these crazy rites, and he made her do these rites with him. And she would, and he beat uh, her all the time. And yeah, he beat her with a leather whip. She does doesn't want to talk about the blasphemy that she did out in the woods with those yeah. things, and did a sacrifice on Thunder Hill, and doesn't say exactly what sacrificed.
2: So it's been a it's been a terrible ordeal for her already. She finds him asleep when she finally breaks out of that attic. She could tell by his snoring that that he was knocked out. So she managed to get out of the attic and get yep. down there. So yeah, she takes a leather whip and uses it to tie him to the chair. Yeah. And And then she lashed his neck up so that she could pour anything down. That's awesome.
0: But then she told, I mean, she has him tied up there, and he wakes up, and then she just tells him how awful he was and how, you know, she just, just, all the things she's been wanting to say to
2: him this whole time, she just tells him. She chokes him off with a dish towel from the sink. Because he
0: starts using some magic. He starts to say some magic stuff on her, and that's why she puts the towel in his mouth. She mentions that uh, what happened was her and Arthur were kind of, falling for each other, but they yeah. never did anything because he was a gentleman. And he was going to help her trying to escape from Mad Dan because he was evil and crazy. They would get divorced and he Wheeler was talking with her father, trying to arrange everything and then they would yeah. be married after she got
2: divorced. So And he, he ruined all that for her. So she lets him have it and then after she's done talking she gets her revenge.
1: He looked almost purple when I was through and I think he was half delirious. Then I got a funnel in the cupboard. Jammed it into his mouth after taking out the gag. He knew what I was going to do, but was helpless. I had brought down the pail of poisoned water, and without a qualm, I poured a good half of it into the funnel. It must have been a very strong dose, for almost at once I saw that brute begin to stiffen and turn a dull, stony gray. In ten minutes, I knew he was solid stone. I could not bear to touch him, but the tin funnel clinked horribly when I pulled it out of his mouth. I wish I could have given that kin of the devil a more painful, lingering death, but surely this was the most appropriate he could have had. There's not much more to say. I am half paralyzed. And with Arthur murdered, I have nothing to live for. I shall make things complete by drinking the rest of the poison after placing this book where it will be found. In a quarter of an hour, I shall be a stone statue. My only wish is to be buried beside the statue that was Arthur, when it is found in that cave where the fiend left it poor trusting wrecks ought to lie at our feet. I do not care what becomes of the stone devil tied in the chair.
2: That's the end. That's the end of the story. Great to end the story there. There was no coda paragraph or anything like that. It just yeah. <sniffs> ends with that journal entry.
0: That's a cool story. I was I was really happy because usually these, uh, these team ups are, are pretty bad, generally, but this one was really cool.
2: The, I, I had some complaints. It started in what I perceived was a silly way, but then it turned into this domestic drama that I really liked with just yeah. a little bit of magic in it. People adapt Lovecraft's work for theater and that kind of thing all the time, mm-hmm. and sometimes I think it's ill-advised because they're too talky. And, but this would be a great little drama, I think, yeah. short. I just I think it's neat. I think the characters are neat, and it's just got a good traditional kind of revenge tale quality to it. Yeah. I was very pleasantly surprised.
0: It's a really interesting character, uh, Mad Dan. Like how he's this crazy wizard that lives out in the woods, and he he's got this he, this poor young girl that he mm-hmm. somehow through his magic tricked her father and her into marrying him. So he has her out there to have sex and make his food for him and to do yeah. his rituals with him and that's all he wants he just wants to do his magic and worship his gods and
2: his journal entries are very they're very straightforward
0: he's not like a, a an eloquent dramatic dr doom like villain he's just right. seems like a kind of a real guy yeah it's really creepy great story so about the story and about the writing of it uh-huh. it was ghost written supposedly for hazel healed in the summer of 1932 and it was published in Wonder Stories, October of 1932. According to a letter that she wrote to August Derleth in Mm -hmm. 1944, it said, Lovecraft helped me with the story as much as on the others and did actually rewrite paragraphs. He would criticize paragraph after paragraph and pencil remarks beside them and then make me write them until they pleased him. Good. But supposedly, according to Joshi, he says, like looking at the text, that it's Lovecraft through and through, like just the mm. sentence structure, the words that he uses, all those things, and he believes that it was taken. She probably did an outline or maybe a first draft, and he just kind of redid the whole thing.
2: Maybe there's certainly Lovecraft ticks in there. I see it. Oh yeah. There, there's a there's a quality to it though that does seem a little different, especially in the journal entries. So I'm I'm not sure.
0: Well, and there's a female character in there. Hardly ever happens in any Lovecraft story.
2: Yeah, she's, all this stuff with her tying him up. And there's
0: a strong emotional motivation for everything that happens.
2: Right, exactly. Once you get into their story, the story of the couple, everything is very need-based and dramatic, whereas the beginning seemed more like a Lovecraft. Hey, there's some weird things up in the hills. Let's go take a trip.
0: In Lovecraft, it feels like the genesis for everything is somebody's curiosity or thirst for knowledge or mm-hmm. quest for power, whereas this is more about
2: a woman. Yeah, it is. It's a love triangle. Well, I'm very satisfied with it.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, I always get happy when I find a Lovecraft story that I've never read before. And yeah,
2: I'd never heard of it. I didn't know the story, and it turned out really well.
0: Uh, well, I wanted to bring up that uh, we are about a little less than $300 away from our ransom.
2: Yeah, we're very close to, to meeting it, and that's great. Any donations... You send our way, go straight to the Ransom. All donations. All donations go there for the Call of Cthulhu full reading by Andrew Lehman. And if we get that pretty soon, I'm looking at doing a Halloween release, perhaps. So that yeah, would that be would, nice.
0: That would be a great Halloween present.
2: Really yeah. Appreciate that. So let's get that done, folks. If you can. Please. Yeah, if you can if you pull awesome. that off, that would be amazing. And what are we doing next week?
0: Unfortunately, we're skipping a week again. Sorry, guys. But uh, I'm moving, so I'm not going to have my setup all uh, ready to go. But the following week, we are doing... Horror in the Museum, another Hazel Heald team up,
2: and that's going to have uh, a guest, right?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. We're having we're having our intern, mm-hmm. Brooke, be a guest host on this. She is uh, well learned in the ways of Lovecraft.
2: <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So she's helped us up with some notes on many of the stories that we've covered, and she's finally going to come on the show and uh, chat with us. Brooke. Uh, well, we've been calling her Brooke Burgess, although she actually changed her name. To Brooke Fong, she took her husband's name, which I told Heather about, and my wife. And uh, <laughs> she said, "Okay, fine, I'll change my name." She did. What? Based on that, she, I told her, "This, yeah." I said. Heather changed her now. name. She's no longer well,
0: Heather Clinky. She's Heather. She's Heather
2: Pfeiffer. Well, that's what I thought would happen, right? I said Brooke changed her name to Brooke Fong, and she goes, Oh, that's great, I'll change my name too. And then when I started looking at the paperwork, she changed her name to Heather Fong.
0: Ah, uh, oh, yeah, man. foiled again. She's always a step ahead of you, dude. I know. I'm Chris Lackey.
2: <laughs> I'm Chad Pfeiffer.
0: And this has been the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast
2: at hppodcraft.com.
1: HPPodcraft.com. <laughs>